Risa presents the Real Talks Podcast. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, Lee Fiella, and I'm joined today with a co-host. That is going to be Mr. Harrison Graham. Harrison, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me uh, yet again. Awesome. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you back on. Today we have a very special guest. We have Jackson Cornelius. He's the Director of Advisory for Canada over at Zonda Analytics. Jackson, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I mean, let's jump right into it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I hate to introduce my guests. I'd like to hear you talk more about yourself than than what I can say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, uh, so I went to university here in in, uh, Calgary at the University of Calgary. Uh, My background was in uh, economics, actually concentrated in applied energy. Um, And then I had a minor in uh, in finance. And then actually prior to that, I had experience in in commodity trading. So I I took a job out of uh, university on a a trading floor, Um, you know, obviously with the cyclicalities of of, uh, that industry. Um, I had to make some uh, career changes. Uh, I ended up, uh, you know, getting laid off in, in, a, in some crossfire and an acquisition, and and uh, I made a career shift to to real estate. It always uh, interested me, and I ended up getting involved with uh, Aves and Young for some time, and then shortly after that, uh, I uh, I joined Urban Analytics, which was recently acquired uh, by Zonda Home in the U.S. So now we're officially known as uh, Zonda Urban here. So yeah, Jackson, I knew you used to be. The president of the the uh, economics association in UFC. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, yeah. Was there ever a draw for real estate in university, or did that come after? Um, it wasn't anything that was. I think my goal was always to be involved in uh, you know energy in some capacity. Um, but it was funny, you know, because it, you know even though when you're doing a concentration in in uh, in any kind of degree, uh, you have to learn the kind of generalities of it as well. And so many of the examples and case studies were rooted in, uh, in real estate, um, you know, in any sort of the, you know, political science classes I took, it was always, you know, a primary uh, topic of conversation. So, um, you know, it was always something that interested me. It's the, it's the engine of, of the economy and, and um, you know, it's, the, it's one of the main primary indicators that you look at to, to kind of gauge the health of an of a overall economy. So. Um, yeah, it was always something that did interest me. I guess it didn't. Uh, I didn't really take to it as uh, as I have now uh, until later in my career. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's something that always surprises me. How many people go from real estate to oil and gas, and then oil and gas to real estate? Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll name drop Kareen. She's working for Suncor right now. Mm-hmm. She used to work for uh, what is it? Asset management. Avenue Living. Avenue Living, Asset Management. Right. And she's going to probably go work for Colliers or somebody else after she's done graduating. Like just mm-hmm. uh, the skills that like occur in both in both sectors of the market. Um, I think it's just really interesting to see how people grow in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, Jackson, what happened after Avis and Young? Uh, in terms of my career growth? Yeah. Your or career and your, and your interests. Yeah. Um, I think... It was an interesting shift for me because I was contemplating my options. Um, I learned a lot from brokerage and uh, decided to, you know, take uh, take on uh, you know some additional opportunity uh, somewhere else. And I was kind of fielding some offers. I looked at one from uh, another commodity trading shop uh, here in Calgary, 
and at the same time I was talking to um, it was the first uh, actually Urban Analytics at the time their first employee when they branched out to Calgary was uh, Kimberly Pothenroth and uh, I'd known her from university and so um, you know it was it was the way she pitched the company to me um, was was I felt really intriguing looking at it um, you know in kind of hindsight and with the understanding of how um, you know the oil and gas sector works um, you know I felt as though data was and is the you know kind of modern day oil modern day gold however you want to put it and so um, it seemed like that was the space I wanted to be in you know we service the real estate uh, sector and and you know uh, stakeholders in that industry and and you know it's it's realistically it was what I saw was going to be the biggest opportunity moving forward so um, it was it was kind of a, a maybe at the time a bit of a gamble uh, because it's a, it was a startup uh, we've grown um, over two times now and with hiring new employees since I've I've been there and and uh, you know I, I 100% made the, the right choice and uh, it's been uh, I, ha I really haven't looked back to be honest it was yeah. kind of I jumped two feet in and and uh, I've loved every second of it so I love that quote data is the new oil like data is the new gold I, I love that quote it's, it's so true Jackson do you think that was urban analytics like a prop tech company because I know you guys had the the NHS live technology mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. was it always a prop tech company or did you guys have to pivot uh, I mean, I think for the majority of the company's history, it has been a prop tech company. Um, as it started out, the company was actually um, founded back in, well, I guess it was 26 years ago now. Oh. So, um, you know, there's been different stages along the way. Uh, Michael Ferreira in uh, Vancouver started it out and it was kind of more on an ad hoc advisory basis and they would basically track the market and collect data firsthand and put them into these giant binders and sell market data in these like massive portfolios essentially yep. and they would have to recreate that every single time um, you know I think that that got shelved for a while uh, he ended up going and working for uh, another marketing firm and then and then came back with uh, you know a bit of a rejuvenated I guess uh, take on the market and and uh, with the understanding that he was going to take all this information and house it in some sort of you know web-based platform obviously technology had come you know leaps and bounds it, it was exponential and this isn't that long ago right this is we're talking about you know 2008 to, to 2010 and um, and yeah, I think that that was basically when, when uh, the company was was more situated in, in property technology. It's funny because you know we are we service the real estate industry, um, and we are a real estate company. But at the end of the day, we are a big data analysis and and, and tech company. So um, you know it is kind of very fitting with uh, with the trends we're seeing right now. Yeah, I think about like only the company I work at my whole day today was just putting together the data analytics report for every single customer mm -hmm. like data gold that, that's yeah. like data's gold um, I don't know Lee what happens in Collier's like yeah I mean like I mean just kind of to pick your brain a little bit you know coming from someone who's just starting in the data management field um, you know working my way up to, to where I want to be within real estate but how important is data to real estate because I feel like that's something that just isn't really pushed enough in mm -hmm. in real estate. It's just how important data is and the role that it plays. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, and I think you made an excellent point that um, 
it is more of a recent shift, I guess, in the industry to you know be more data focused. Uh, if you look at total, you know, capital holdings and cash flow in the in this industry, it's not so dissimilar to oil and gas or you know anything else in uh, you know as it relates to investment. So um, those are all industries that are have been and always have been rooted in, in data analytics. For whatever reason, I don't see your, you know maybe it's because. When I'm looking at it, it might be that it's 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 sort of based in something more tangible for consumers, which is you know housing, and uh, it's it's always been looked at more of like a feel, um, you know, it, approach, and and so and it's also owned by a lot of people, these development companies and and uh, you know other groups who are you know maybe don't come from that data background, and so you know. That might be one of the cases, but now as we're looking at more institutional developers and even you know smaller groups, um, they want to make the right decisions. Um, anything other than that, you are making you know potentially costly million million dollar mistakes um, that compound. So um, you know the stakes are higher and higher and higher, especially when you're dealing with uh, you know consumer sensitivity and and I guess I you know it is going economics here. It is elasticity. You know the ability for um, a home. Somebody who's interested in living in a home. You know there's there's elasticity between renting and buying, and there's elasticity between buying and buying and renting and renting, right? Because there's so much product out there between new build and resale market and privately owned condominiums that are rented out. You know there's a lot of uh, uh, selection, and so you're having to basically. Uh, walk this this uh, this minefield of, of uh, consumer preference, and that's really the hardest thing to do is understand you know what what are motivating people to make these consumption decisions, and uh, and uh, you know how do we how do we build the most successful project uh, without uh, losing money? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. What do you think is the most important metric that developers look at? dollar per square foot <laughs> yeah that's the end all be all yeah i mean that is basically the number that they're looking for in the pro forma that uh you know will you know that's that is the magic number that's going to tell you your roi so yeah yeah i mean with like us talking about how important data is what do you do with zondo with that data how do you how do you show developers how do you create what do you do with your reports to create these ideas that developers then can use and use this data to move forward to make financial decisions, just general business decisions to mm-hmm. profit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's that's more of a question as to what Zonda Urban does as a company and how we benefit, you know, our our clients and our stakeholders, which is, you know, it's an excellent question because it's kind of split half and half. One half of the company is based in that property technology platform, which is called NHS or New Home Source Live, uh, and that's a cloud-based um, online technology that is basically just a, a data repository. But it's very, you know, client or user-facing, uh, user-friendly, uh, completely interactive, and and completely intuitive as well. Um, and so, obviously, as a builder, or developer, or a lender. Uh, anybody who has some sort of uh, skin in, you know, real estate, is interested in finding out what's going on, 
and uh, whatever the motivation is the easiest example is as a developer you know you're probably going to go in you have some sort of land holding or maybe you don't but let's start right there you know we, you have some sort of land holding and you have some sort of concept you know say you want to you, you know you're going to take it rental well you could take it luxury rental you could take it affordable you could take it like kind of market standard depends on the location depends on also the uh, the competitiveness of the market in whatever given region that you're in and so then you can go in and basically pull the data that you're interested in because as a development company you would have your own resources in-house that you'd be able to leverage and you need some sort of justification for those you know decisions that you're gonna make on the other side is our advisory side which is uh, you know where I kind of uh, step in uh, and also uh, our vice president of advisory uh, who's based out of Toronto um, where you know we're talking to clients who you know again we're, we can come in from blank slate all the way up to almost you know construction or in construction um, and more or less we're answering questions for the client you know what's going on in the market and it's not sometimes you know it's not they don't want it left up to their own interpretation because you can become slightly um, I don't know, it can become, uh, I guess the lines can be blurred a little bit. If, if you're too involved in a project for too long, you want somebody else to basically fact check you as an independent third party. This is also used to, you know, provide to, um, you know, their lenders and other sort of investors that they have. And it's kind of passed down the line all the way through architects and everybody else involved uh, in the process. And so we'll come in and leverage different sources of data, not just our own uh, that we house on NHS, but we're looking at demographic data. We're looking at other economic indicators. You know, we're looking at, um, uh, you know, population growth is obviously the biggest one, and and that's what drives uh, demand in any given market. So, um, we're going down the line and, and doing these sort of uh, strategic analyses uh, on a specific property or a set of properties, and then we always treat it like, like a, a paper you would write in university, uh, which is you know we basically build a hypothesis given our initial site visit and understanding of the market in that area and then collect data and then test against it and then provide recommendations basically verifying what our initial hypothesis is or recommending something else so um, it's and then we kind of have this ongoing relationship with those clients as well after the fact so yeah did Zonda have a very similar business model to urban analytics and that's the reason that you guys had the merger yeah, the the acquisition is, I mean, it's really, it's really, obviously the synergies are there. Um, there's a lot of similarities between the two companies. So if you're not familiar, Zonda Home is the single largest uh, residential data provider in the United States. Um, and they are, you know, basically um, coast to coast and then all throughout the Midwest as well as you know going down to Dallas and they operate in in Mexico a little bit as well in hospitality actually I learned about Zonda from our American salespeople like oh, they, they use Zonda to like do their market research in other mm -hmm. states yeah I, like, I hadn't heard of it and then he like sent me this like they, they do like a monthly video mm -hmm. and sales guy sent it to me hey we should get you know only to be featured in this and I was like, Zonda that, mm -hmm. that rings a bell mm -hmm. I think we have a, like a brand up here like that yeah. yeah yeah and so um, what Zonda home actually is is uh, it was a merger between two firms and I'm gonna butcher the name so I'm not even gonna try because I always forget so but there was uh, you know an advisory firm um, and then also a marketing firm and uh, it's actually um, it was it was merged by mid-ocean partner group in uh, in Manhattan which is a private equity firm 
um, that saw those synergies there as well. Um, and so the you know the marketing and the media side is what you're talking about with the videos. So they put together you know the Builder 100 Award, and they had they're like these are the most attended um, you know events basically as far as uh, in in real estate uh, down in the U.S. and they have and they have commercial uh, events as well. So you're you're asking just you know before we got going here about uh, if they do anything in commercial. So um, that is definitely one of the sides that they focus on is is on their uh, their media side. Um, and then they were looking strategically uh, at Canada, and uh, and I think they had approached us a number of times, and and uh, ultimately it was to help you know I guess push our growth in in, in Canada. So uh, I think in Calgary we were a little bit anxious when we uh, heard about the acquisition, but I, it's different than uh, you know what our uh, other regional office in Vancouver you know saw it as because we always equate. Um, you know, mergers, mergers and acquisitions uh, with layoffs, uh, which thankfully wasn't the case. We were used basically uh, to accelerate our growth uh, across Canada uh, and, and also target urban markets, which is uh, a service offering in the United States that uh, Zonda doesn't have at the moment. So there's no sort of, there is a, you know, uh, they do offer advisory services on, uh, on the, uh, the urban sort of multifamily side, but um, you know, there's no data product offered like through Zonda, um, you know, for those markets. So we're looking at, you know, we're talking about Seattle and Denver and Houston and Las Vegas and L.A. and, you know, all these really high density areas, New York especially, of course. Um, and so that was, you know, it's kind of a, a double pronged approach. So now we just went into full growth mode. And, and uh, like I said, so, you know, I, I mentioned that we've hired um, well, we've doubled our employee count since I joined. That's actually in four months, in the last four months. Yeah, cool. so we've been going uh, uh, pretty crazy in, in bringing, uh, you know, new talent in. Um, you know, we just brought in uh, two new vice presidents, um, uh, Jasmine, Jasmine Young and, uh, and uh, Pauline Learman, um, who both served on uh, two different uh, advisory and, and prop tech companies. Uh, respectively in Toronto so that really opened up that market for us now we're working in Toronto and Ottawa Gatineau um, you know and of course we're talking GTA gonna look at Montreal moving into Victoria Kelowna so it's been uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind but uh, I guess everything is going as planned <laughs> you could say so yeah yeah it's awesome to hear so to the students listening huge job opportunities in Calgary um, <laughs> yeah not even just with us, actually, but just, you know, touching on, like, how, how uh, diversified we're getting and, and uh, the kind of talent we're attracting for, for other companies here. There is a lot of opportunity just, in, in, you know, for employment anywhere right now. So, yeah. Does that, do you think that speaks to just the growth in Western Canada? Because I, I remember reading an article on the, on the uh, acquisition, and I think it was the CEO of Zonda. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Myers. Yes. Yeah. And he said specifically he targeted urban analytics because of the growth in Western Canada. Mm -hmm. Like, do do you think Western Canada is growing at a higher rate than Eastern Canada, or like, could you even compare the two markets? You know, it's one. It's a question about. You know, I would have to look at actual statistics to say. Yeah. I I don't want to say you know one's growing faster than the other. I know as a fact that I can say that. Uh, British Columbia was the only province last month to grow in population, uh, which means that every other province is draining to British Columbia. Yeah. By how much? Actually, that's not. It's Nova, Nova Scotia grew too, but um, you know, as far as ma I know, it's interesting. <laughs> as far as as far as major markets go, 
Um, Lobster fishing is where it's at. Yeah, apparently the yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's interesting because you know, and that's a market that's facing a bit of um, uh, a bit of a supply crisis right now as far as uh, housing goes, and it's causing some affordability concerns. There's already a bit of affordability concerns there, and and Toronto as well. So um, to see you know interprovincial migration you know, pour in like that into one spot is, uh, is really quite interesting, but we're also seeing it here in Calgary as well. So, uh, it's just because our, uh, our international migra- uh, immigration numbers are starting to pick up and, and, you know, as, uh, University of Calgary is actually doing a great job in, in marketing and promoting itself, uh, you know, as an entrepreneurial hub, they've done a great job and received a lot of bursaries to grow a number of different programs there that I think is, is fantastic. And they're really, uh, developing, you know, kind of world-class talent always have been in, in some uh, faculties but it seems to be spreading uh, you know uh, further out than that so it, it's really great to see um, and and there just seems to be so much like exciting opportunity coming up in Calgary that uh, you know I am I always say I would use the word bullish sparingly mm-hmm. uh, I would I would use I would say I'm bullish on, on Calgary right now yeah. moving forward we have to be bullish to be Calgarians, we have to be bullish on the city. Yeah, hard, hard, uh, yeah, pretty hard-nosed uh, clientele here, and yeah, tough to say no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking. I I always think back to like conversations I have with you know Trent with Jessica from the Westman Center, mm-hmm. um, even with just uh, Jason here at Only. Like mm-hmm. they've lived in Calgary for decades. They don't want to leave. They're committed to the city. I like to think that I'm committed to the city. The city has like more, as far as I can see, more job opportunities every single day. Uh, I'm, it's great living here. It's great living here. Yeah, couldn't uh, agree more. We don't have an affordability issue here in Calgary. Right? No. Well, Moody's just came out with uh, their report on uh, Canadian housing market, uh, um, I guess, valuation. Yes. Great read. Very short, couple pages. Um, but basically went into you know some of the supply and demand uh, fundamentals in each of these markets uh, and their forecast models as to you know whether they're overvalued or undervalued. Uh, Calgary was the second um, most undervalued market in in the city or in the country, sorry, which is phenomenal because we are not a small city. We are considered a major market. You know we're looking at 1.4 million people here uh, with the highest. Um, per capita of, of educated population, you know, with undergraduate and master's or greater than a master's degree. Uh, highest hourly pay rate uh, when you break it down for full-time employees uh, in, in the country. So, you know, these are all of these sort of baseline characteristics that you would get in an incredibly wealthy city that maybe would have housing bubble issues. Uh, and we don't have that. We're in fact, we're 31% undervalued. Uh, with housing prices expected to climb anywhere from seven to nine percent over the next one to two years, uh, in in the, the residential market, uh, and we're talking about condos, townhomes, duplexes, you know, the whole gambit. So, mm-hmm. um, I we are already seeing a shift in private investors from specifically the GTA coming into Calgary uh, and purchasing units to uh, basically help supplement also the demand in our rental market which is just being absorbed at, at, you know, it seems to be like a constantly growing pace. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really great to see. And these are all things, again, coming from my economics background that tell me that, you know, there's not a lot of sign of slowing down. 
but there's not a lot of signs that it's overheating. It's it's all very healthy. It's all very organic, and I think that there's a lot of policies and uh, put in place right now that is helping facilitate that growth and track that investment, which is great to see. And, and again, I'm just I go back. I'm just I'm really optimistic on the outcome of this, uh, and and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking about those policies, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I see Calgary being affordable because of one our continued like urban sprawl Mm -hmm. that that hasn't slowed down and two just the amount of townhomes in suburban communities (laughs) yeah incredibly affordable Mm -hmm. so then let's flip the question i was talking with uh, brad field back when we had our mayoral election he told me if he was mayor uh he'd get completely out of development let anybody you know let the developers develop a community to the bylaws that are in place right now do you think that's a good idea and it will keep affordability in Calgary well it'll maintain affordability in Calgary or we should you know like Nenshi and probably like uh, you know Jody Gontek is going to do push for more multifamily mm-hmm. development more for multifamily absorption it's 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 a good question I feel like obviously a very important one that's what a the whole one. yeah yeah it's what the whole election more or less was based on yeah and what everybody you know that w- that's what everybody's platform was focused yeah. on uh you know on wait, proving wait, can we get so. that quote the election was a real estate election can <laughs> i get that quote yeah i would confirm i won't say it myself but yeah i would yeah I, 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 w- I would agree exactly um so you know i think just you know taking a step back and looking at like your comments on on why calgary is so affordable you know just geographically we are fortunate that we aren't um you know we're not uh i don't want to say landlocked because it's you know the opposite but you know we we don't have any sort of geographical uh restrictions like water which is the biggest you know that's the biggest one in 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 uh, toronto and and vancouver so um we're really fortunate in that sense and we have the ability to grow the city north and south uh, you know, southwest is the only kind of direction that you have any sort of limitation. But even then, you see a fantastic joint venture between the Tsutsina First Nation and Canderell, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Montreal-based developer. Um, you know, creating this massive three-phase project that's going to bring. I mean, it's it that if you don't know about that uh, Taza project, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's going to be great for that that end of the city. And, and, you know, it's a, so now going back to what, where should we put our focus? It's a fine line to walk. I have no issue with, um, you know, expanding into, you know, and growing urban sprawl. You see it in all major metropolitan centers, especially in the United States. Obviously the most, everybody always says that uh, Calgary is like the Texas or, you know, Alberta is the Texas of Canada. Dallas is a great city. If anything, Calgary is similar to Denver in its geographical, um, you know, proximity to the mountains, um, you know, the surrounding municipalities. I mean, if you're looking at Denver, you know, Columbine used to be its own its own city. Um, you're get you know, you're in you're getting close to you're about half an hour, 40 minutes to Fort Collins north of Denver. You know, so we're talking we're looking like Banff and Airdrie and mm-hmm. Cochrane. You know, there's very there's a lot of similarities there. But um you know, if, if you kind of put all your eggs in one basket and you just grow the city outward, then you're going to have, you know, a circumstance like we're, we're facing on, on Stephen Avenue right now. 
um, which is you know it's it used to be kind of like that you know main arterial lifeline of the downtown core where do you go when you come to calgary well it's stephen avenue it's beautiful heritage cobblestone you know it has all the makings of being like a really uh, fantastic vibrant street um, but again we are still facing some sort of you know windfall from from uh, uh, municipal economy that was based too much in in one sector which was oil and gas um, and I mean, that's what we're looking at with office vacancy right now as well. We have a downtown that is built uh, for a city that has three times our population right now. That's how much office space we have. And that's because of the inefficiencies that were generated through an uh, overheated commodity market. Um, you know, what we're seeing right now, if you're looking at oil and gas, is that, you know, $80 and $80 barrel oil and plus is not healthy because of supply chain restraints, because of, um, you know, production limitations. And now we're looking at, you know, we're getting calls to Middle Eastern countries and, and OPEC plus to produce more to help relieve some of these stresses on commodity prices. So we're playing around with the concept of stagflation right now uh, because, you know, we're trying to not let prices get out of hand, uh, you know, and, and outpace our growth, which we're still trying to recover from also a pandemic, of course. So, um, it's a bit off topic, but you know, it's very relevant to Calgary. Mm -hmm. So um, going back to the point is that I think that it's, it's, you know, it's a fine line. There has to be something done, um, you know, in interior suburban locations that keeps it, you know, keeps it busy, keeps it vibrant. And then there has to be those sort of outer municipality or outer, sorry, uh, suburban communities that uh, offer that, you know, difference in lifestyle, that offer you that affordability. So, um, you know, there has to be, you can't just approve communities uh, at whim and let, because developers will develop a free market is not always um, the most efficient market, depending on how you look at it, right? So that's, I mean, what you said about Stephen Avenue, like our loss of Stephen Avenue, mm -hmm. that kind of strikes a chord because, yeah, I walk down it every single day. It's a ghost town. Mm -hmm. It's not a weekend. Even on the weekend, depending on what weekend, it's a ghost town. Do you think that's why, like, the Calgary City Hall and Calgary Municipality has kind of been focusing on different communities of redevelopment? And they, I mean, like, I've looked at East Village, uh, the Entertainment District. Mm -hmm. I can probably do a search, and the word vibrant will show up at least 50 times mm -hmm. yeah. in the redevelopment. That's a buzzword for sure. Yeah. It definitely is. But, like, I mean, you said it yourself creating vibrant spaces to replace Stephen Avenue mm -hmm. is that the goal of you know council when they when they approve these projects I don't know if it, I, I would say not to replace it but to kind of um, you know re-inject it with some kind of life mm -hmm. for sure we need you know um, there's a lot of stuff uh, in the pipeline and, and I think a lot of people are putting their Calgary in their crosshairs as far as uh, investment goes um, because of our, you know, our workforce, because of all these things that we've already touched on, uh, our educated population and, and the attraction of other companies like, you know, we're looking at Neo Financial, all these sort of um, um, venture capitalist uh, records we're setting for, for startups here uh, because of how incredibly uh, attractive our movie industry is right now. We're offering, you know, um, comparable tax incentives that you would find in, in Hungary, in Czech Republic which is, you know, where a lot of movies are filmed um, because you don't have to pay that same kind of money. And so it's attracting a lot of talent here. And I think the developers are looking at that and saying, okay, well, you know, they're going to come. They're going to come back. This is not forever. 
uh, and we're looking at uh, you know I think a market that's in very much a, an inflection point that uh, we're going to turn back you know even a decade from now mm-hmm. and say wow like look look what happened in these sort of areas um, and you can see that with some of the rental projects that are popping up there they are creating entire communities that are attracting people from all over the city um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Heinz Project Park Central on uh, right next to the Sheldon Schumer. You guys, you guys are aware. Yeah. yeah. Do you Do you know anybody that lives in that building? I don't personally. Know. You don't? Okay. I know a lot of people that live in that building. Yeah. I know a lot of people that look at that building every day. It's also directly next to my office. I have no choice. Yeah. I see it every day at my window. But yeah. um, you know, if I'm walking to go get a coffee, um, everybody's incredibly young. Everybody is you know works downtown, works in the service industry. Um, and, and they built out this sort of, you know, really um, deep amenity mix that um, it just seems like it's like almost, uh, you know, like lifestyle and your, and your home meets a, an amusement park. You have, you know, you have golf simulators, you have an outdoor pool, mm-hmm. you have, you know, billiards and you can rent out a kitchen and you know it, it's just it's phenomenal and that seems to be the trend and it's and it's very similar to what you would see in Phoenix and uh, and in Dallas and Houston and and uh, you know other places like that so um, it, that indicates to me that that's kind of where we're heading um, and, and and it's going to draw a lot of people back into the downtown core so to play a little bit of devil's advocate mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about you know Calgary using these or at least Calgary the Calgary Municipal Government using these words like vibrancy quite mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, at, at some point, is it not, is there not some truth that, you know, them trying to push people back in da- to, into downtown, or are we going to see a contradiction from something like urban sprawl that's going to keep pushing us farther away? Because, you know, speak, talking to Calgary, being someone from Saskatchewan, where neither of these concepts really ring true at any point. Yeah. Um, speaking to either of them, you know, is you know are these opposing forces or are these things that work in conjunction with each other i would say conjunction and i think to me and i answer quickly because i feel as though it's an easy answer um because if it if they were so uh polar opposite or or you know diametrically opposed then we wouldn't see as many people pushing for it because you know after you know after time it's going to be you know pretty obvious that one is sort of draining on the other um, what did happen and what was a drain on the downtown core that sort of expedited some sort of, you know, maybe underlying uh, urge for, for a larger space was the pandemic and that people, you know, I mean, look, you lock people in their homes for that long, you're going to, you're going to want to change. You're going to want more space. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame people. Um, but you know, if, if you, if you, that is, that is an outlier and an anomaly. If you take that out of the equation, I think that, uh, you know, that's definitely something that offers that. What do you pick? What do you pick? You want to pick close and convenience. If you work downtown, uh, you want to pick close to downtown amenities or you go into the outer suburban neighborhoods and, um, you know, you don't, you choose to not come downtown and then that's where other amenities start, start popping up. So, um, you know, it, it is, they work together, you know, and it creates, this is generating consumption, it's generating investment, um, you know, there's new businesses, and a lot of new, you know, mom and pop shops are popping up in these, um, you know, these strip malls and new new uh, commercial developments as well that are 
servicing these new communities. So, you know, investment attracts investment, right? It is definitely a snowball effect. And so just because there is investment in one doesn't mean that there's not in the other. That's not how it works. I think if it pulls in one, it'll pull in the other. Um, and it, but it, you just can't, you just can't floor it on one and accelerate growth in the suburbs and expect that, you know, downtown will just be okay. You have to basically, it's, you know, you can't just focus on the trouble child, right? They both need attention kind of thing. So, yeah. I want to, I kind of want to shift. It's, it's sort of related, but it's sort of not. I remember when you came to present in our capstone class at UFC. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, you made many great points, but the main thing that I took away from that presentation was your economics background and also the formula that you created to determine the success of a multifamily project. Mm-hmm. Um, could you, could you explain that to the students right now? Because I find it just like incredible. The formula to, uh, you're going to have to jog my memory because I'm not. Okay. Uh... So in that presentation, you had a bunch of weighted variables oh. to determine the success of a multifamily project. Oh, I see. No, that wasn't actually determine the success of a multifamily project. That was that was a, a forecasting model that I built that uh, estimates residential sales in the market. Okay. And so similar though, because okay. it because the product types focused on in that uh, in that model, there's actually three models. Um, two of them are considered multifamily, being obviously condominiums and townhomes. And then I have single family homes as well. So the what what I looked at in that model is many of the same key fundamentals that we've chatted about today, but more in loose conversation. Um, but I was always looking at, you know, if you go online and you search up housing housing forecasts, you'll get recorded sales, and then you get to the point where, you know, up to the point where you have data, reported data, and then they'll show you some bandwidth of estimated future sales. And usually it's like some confidence interval that's like 3%. So the band essentially you know, grows 90 degrees either direction. <laughs> and uh, you're like, okay, well, great. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, so I felt like there was another way to quantify and, and, you know, look forward. And this is also coming from somebody who I don't trust forecasts. So, I mean, it's, it's the irony is there for sure. I always take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, expectations for, the housing market expectations for the economy in general we always look at the fact that you know it's consumer based well the consumer is also uh, quantifiable and what's the volume so now we're looking at population so I have to take into consider that's that was one metric population growth uh, another one was uh, average annual household income which I broke down into uh, average weekly earnings for Alberta um, the, one of the biggest factors, and this was, uh, I thought it was funny that it was, and, and great to see that it was confirmed when I, you know, ran a number of different uh, tests against it, was uh, the Consumer Confidence Index, which is just obviously a poll um, by uh, the Conference Board of Canada, um, basically gauging, you know, people's general optimism in the market from a consumer standpoint. A lot of it is based around housing, so I mean, it's it to me, it seemed like you know the mo it made the most sense. Mm -hmm. um, 
and also just a, a phenomenal indicator in and of itself to see how that fluctuates month to month based on you know and, is, and it it doesn't mean that it's logical either so we need to you know take into consideration that this model is riddled with human error mm -hmm. because you are polling Canadians on their perception of the market and we are talking about people who you know sometimes some of them just read Facebook articles yeah. Some people are only on Pinterest. Some people are the most well-read, follow Bloomberg, you know, are fact-checking themselves. You know, you get, a, you get a whole mix of people. So, but more or less, you know, you're kind of getting the general population's optimism, and that's what drives the market. So I felt that was really good. Um, I also, obviously, tracking, uh, you know, each of these different, um, you know, product types. I looked at average price. Uh, for a single-family home, for a condominium, for a townhome. Mm -hmm. um, and then through that, I tracked interest rates, and I also have another model that is forecasting interest rates, but it's easy to see that, you know, when the Bank of Canada just comes out last week and says they're holding rates, you know, that was kind of expected mm -hmm. uh, because, well, we don't. that's a whole other conversation, but that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. And so um, through those interest rates, now I can basically formulate uh, anticipated mortgage payments. So affordability, I'm creating, I created an affordability index out of this. Um, so now I have monthly uh, mortgage installments. Uh, what else did we look at? How many factors is that now? Five, I think. Mm -hmm. And there was, one, there, there was one other one as well. Oh, um, seasonality. The, 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 you know, everybody knows this about any sort of market, but especially residential. You know, sales drop off in the winter when it's cold. Mm -hmm. They pick up in the spring, get hot in the summer. You know, it has that cyclicality to it. So I added in some dummy variables, um, just you know, based on on those four seasons, and then I added a fifth dummy variable uh, for COVID. So you know, basically being that uh, everything that's not COVID is is, is a zero, mm -hmm. and everything that is COVID is a one. <laughs> and so it was cool to see that uh, the impact that COVID had on you know. Um, on uh, consumers' willingness to purchase and even get engaged in the market, mm -hmm. so that that was basically everything that that um, was included in this forecasting model, um, and and what that COVID variable also allows me to do is add some sort of you know, it's almost like a filler. It's a bit of a, a manipulated variable where if anything happens that I don't necessarily have economic data to feed in to um, you know make sense of that then I can, I'm trying to think of an example, like, you know, I don't put WTI prices in because to me, it doesn't seem to be like a, that key of an indicator in, in residential sales. You know, the average sort of, you know, husband and, or, you know, whatever partner uh, is coming, uh, is going to go buy a house and they're like, well, honey, what's WTI at? Like, I just don't see that being the case. So, um, but uh, yeah, so what ended up happening is that that model for, um, they're all, they all yielded 90% uh, or more, 90 to 98% actually, um, accuracy uh, in, in their explanation of, of uh, you know, housing sales. So we're looking at, you know, the models producing a number that is anywhere from like 10 to kind of 50 or 75 off the recorded sale. So um, it, was, it was nice to see that it, it, it you know, has a really, really... Uh, uh, high confidence interval and and yeah we've been using it a lot in our uh, in our advisory work as well so I'm actually working on a, on a bit of marketing material that we're going to be putting out basically a one-page snapshot uh, 
using that model as well. So we would love to get access to that. Yeah. When, when it's public. Yeah. Of yeah. Absolutely. And actually, we just started talking about it this week. So um, the stars yeah. are aligning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll send it to you as soon as it's done. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking, like, from an investor perspective, from a like a individual developer perspective, those formulas would be incredibly valuable to know, like, what product type to invest in, and then also what to expect. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, one thing that I'm, you know, I'm gonna be looking at. This is all stuff that I do in my free time too. Yeah, because this is, you know, more. Yeah. In uh, case Jackson didn't, you know, impress <laughs> upon you enough that he's a genius. <laughs> no, not genius, but, um, you know, it's just stuff that I'm, I'm interested in it, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, you were talking about your friend that works in, uh, uh, was it Suncor? Yep. And, yeah, in energy, anyways, and. You know, data is data is data at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you can learn basically the principles of the market, yeah. uh, I just find it all, it's all very interesting. And, and there's these sort of uh, endless why questions yeah. and how and when and where, right? And I feel like if you can come close to at least getting a bit of a peek or glimpse into solving that puzzle, that's kind of, it's like, that. that's the kind of pursuit, I guess. And so the next piece of that is, is pricing. And so there's, you know, pricing is a bit more tricky um, you know, there are actually better pricing forecast models um, because there's more financial data out there mm -hmm. than there is on, you know, the, the metrics that go into, you know, you're dealing more with the softer side of people's decision making to buy. That's behavioral economics. It's hard to measure. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, pricing is, you know, it is a bit of, um, um, you know, it swaps leading indicators, I guess you could say, where, you know, sometimes sales drive pricing and sometimes pricing drives sales, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a bit of a different one, but uh, one that I'm looking at as well right now. Yeah, data is gold. Yeah. Learn how to capture it, learn how to manipulate it, learn how to read it, and then publish it. Exactly. And you'll do excellent in the world. <laughs> yeah. How are we doing for time, Leaf? We're doing pretty good. We're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, I guess one question that, you know, we're, we've been talking a lot about data. Um, speaking, of, speaking from someone who, you know, obviously works a lot with data mm -hmm. for for those students out there and those listeners out there who you know have an interest in in data in working in it dealing with it you know mm -hmm. coming to this conclusion creating their own formulas moving forward with it you know how did you get yourself to be where you are now in terms of you know your knowledge your expertise just beyond school mm -hmm. but even including school as well yeah um it's a it's an interesting question. I don't. I honestly, it's a hard one for me to answer because I just feel like when I'm interested in something, I just read about it and I read everything. I mean, I get into the office, you know, before I kind of have to, or I'll, and if I don't have time in the morning, you know, I'll find time in the day or after work um, to read articles. I read stuff that I don't agree with. I read stuff that I do agree with. I try to fact check myself. I read stuff that isn't even relevant to anything. It's just like, you know, random pieces of knowledge that you never know uh, how you're going to pull influence from that. So, um, and you know, when we were going through this hiring process um, with our recent sort of expansion and, and, and the rest of it, uh, you know, what I was talking to, you know, our, our new employees and, at, you know, through the process, through our potential employees, uh, you know, the, the number one thing that I was looking for in that throughout that interview was to gauge some sort of, you know, maybe intrinsic, intrinsic sense of creativity. Because to be able to not just solve problems that are presented to you, but find problems that, you know, maybe haven't been found yet 
and then try to address those or maybe even just recognize them you know i think that's that's all part of the you know i guess the the bigger issue which is just how do you make it the most efficient market you possibly can um you know i find i found the whole um i guess this losing the word i guess that i found the whole situation of or the state of the of the industry which is was not data oriented in my opinion as as much as other markets uh presented an awesome opportunity to be a bit of a disruptor and it seems you know you can take that as far as you want just even by imposing data and and creating the case for its importance and relevance to somebody is being a disruptor there's many many different degrees of that and so um you know that was a, that was one that obviously the the company had addressed but it you know being that there is different degrees you know we could take that as far as we wanted and so it was a sales pitch that made sense to me it wasn't something that i felt greasy kind of trying to push on people because i believed in it and um you know it, it there was a there's a blatant um kind of there's a lack of transparency in the market there's no requirement unless you're a publicly traded firm to accurately uh you know i guess present your sales numbers and you have this sort of cat and mouse game of everybody's sort of blurring the lines fibbing to each other kind of to impress each other kind of to throw each other off their scent but say you and i are a developer and i go to you and you know I'm trying to build something that is going to, you know, work for a community. And this is a major major market efficiency we're going to talk about here. And when I go to you and you have a call it a condo project. And I go, "How many sales have you made this this month?" "Oh, we made 75 sales." "What? 75 sales, really?" And that's like crazy. That's insane. Well, you must be doing something well. Well, everything else is on your website, your marketing style, your unit mix more or less, right? Like your amenity packages, the, the, the architectural design, the, the whole concept of the building is easy to grasp. And all I have to do is basically try and follow suit, put my own kind of spin on it. I'm gonna sell 75 units, similar price point, but you just told me 75, but you actually sold 15 units. Well, now we just, double down on what is potentially not saying necessarily because it could just be a factor of the market at that time but it could be a bad concept and now we just overloaded a market with supply in maybe some specific area that you know that's not what that needed at all at that point in time and so i'm looking at that being like a that's that is um that's a heritage issue you know so we're going back and you know long-standing sort of practices in an industry that isn't data oriented um, the point of data I think is to be you know open communication very transparent what do you have to hide you know somebody with a guilty conscience in my opinion um, you know hides and, and fibs so you know what it, what is, what do you gain out of that you know proprietary financials obviously you know you don't need to disclose those we're talking about something that if I'm a if I'm a buyer and I ask you, I'm an investor in the building. I want to get my best unit so I can rent it out. I want to make sure my investment doesn't flop. How many people are living in the building? Are you going to lie to me? Probably not. If you are, then there's that big issues then. 
but you know so why would you lie to somebody else because anybody can get that information but you're looking at you know somebody else in the industry as competition and you're making a conscious decision to not share that information this was something that I just I just didn't make sense to me we've seen that in I've seen that in four or five years now completely shift um, which is great we've seen I think people kind of it is almost like we're moving into like a new age of um, you know and I think it's a reflection of the workforce as well um, so but yeah that's that's um, I, I just find it's been really really interesting yeah took the words right out of my mouth, <laughs> You say that every single day. Transparency yeah. in the industry, what do you have to hide? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think we, like, I, I don't remember who to attribute the words to, but somebody said, like, because of the shift to technology, all the information is online. There's been a democratization of marketing and sales and development. Mm-hmm. Just because all that information is now online, like, it's it's transparent or it's moving to become transparent mm-hmm. and it's there for anybody to see there's there's no hiding it anymore yeah yeah absolutely yeah i don't even know if i addressed your question properly i'm no, sorry you, I you definitely did okay, and then yeah. you got into something that i think was even far beyond and something that definitely was something that was super interesting to touch on especially kind of that honesty and that transparency side it it doesn't seem often like real estate's an industry that's very integrative where you get a lot of work between between brokerages between builders mm-hmm. between developers it's just not something you see because everybody for lack of better words is trying to make the most money possible mm-hmm. as businesses obviously yeah but you know like you spoke about you know the efficiency the ability to go about this in the best possible way i think that there's definitely some truth to that that could definitely be explored and I think that something as simple as data could really start bringing this full circle um, yeah. for an industry that wasn't originally built on this concept right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely Jackson do you have anything that you want to plug uh, you know what I would say that um, you know keep your keep your eye on uh, on the industry be- and just you know on the job markets in general because there is a lot of opportunity out there um, but we're, we are always looking for new talent. We are always looking for new kind of, you know, bright minds. Nobody at the company, at any company, I will say, knows everything. And uh, you always shed light on a new and bring a new perspective. So, um, you know, if you see something out there, uh, don't uh, hesitate to reach out if we do have an opportunity uh, in the upcoming months, years, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for those inspiring words and for kind of everything you talked about today. It was, it was, it was an, an unbelievable conversation that I did not anticipate having today, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it glad. was very enlightening, uh, everything you had to say. And uh, for, for me, myself, I, I learned a lot, especially coming from kind of the commercial side of things, um, not focusing a lot on the residential data and different things like that. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different data set, but still very similar. And there's a lot of things to think about that, you know, I can take back to work for myself. So uh, mm-hmm. I just want to thank you again for coming on and, you know, speaking to us. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have learned at least a thing or two today. So. Yeah. Hey, anytime. Awesome. Well, yeah. th- well, thank you, Harrison. Thank you for joining me as well. Um, 
that being said listeners this will be the end of this podcast i appreciate you guys tuning in today and all i can say is thank you and have a good rest of your day until next time thank you for tuning in to reese's real talks podcast until next time keep it real